And he said it'll heal on its own. <laughs> and it did. They just said you have to eat lots of fiber and liquids. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to The Debrief, a weekly podcast from your friends here at Sandals Church, where every weekend, Pastor Matt brings, not every weekend, every midweek period from the weekend, Pastor Matt Brown brings real answers to your tough questions from the li- your, the, the Bible, his sermons, and life. Well, we can tell wow. you had a week off. Yeah, you really killed that one, dude. <laughs> that was like horrendous. You guys, I, gotta, I, kept trying to, I kept trying to dig out of this hole that I was like slipping down into, and neither one of your yeah. eyes were throwing me a rope that I could climb back out of the There pit. was nothing we could you do. You guys were just letting me go. Yeah, yeah. But sometimes it's what you have to do. Yeah, you guys are hearing the uh, unsupportive sounds here. Our friend Stephanie Keene across the table. <laughs> How's it going, guys? And of course, Pastor Matt Brown. Who refused to throw you a rope. <laughs> that is so <laughs> That is so true. Yeah. Well, we're glad to be here. We've got so much fun stuff to cover. We, you started a brand new series this last weekend called Who We Are, and we're going to get into that. We're going to debrief that. we got a bunch of off-topic questions. we got a lot of goodness. One big thing, we had a, a beautiful new addition to the show right here. This is uh, the new tweet bell Boom. Oh, wow. Tweet a bell. Did Tweet you a bell. Come up with that on your own? Uh, oh, yeah. It's the third version of the potential naming here. But anytime you say something tweetable, one of us will. Tweet the bell. Mm. Tweet bell? Is that? Okay. Yeah, we'll, t- I yeah, we'll said tweet the bell. Tweetable. Not yet. Yeah, well, Not yet. we're just practicing. Exactly. You guys are going to hear that. You're going to know it. We just, that's our way of saying. Uh, we think maybe amen. you should tweet that. Yeah, good. That was awesome. Spirit, yep. Hey, oh. I can still hear it slowly ringing know, in my it ears. It for so long. I think this thing gonna is going to last for one and a half episodes before oh, we throw yeah. it in the trash can. What do you think? I'm already ready to talk. Yeah, I was like, I don't think it's going to make it all the way through this one. Let's see how it goes. Let's see how it goes. This may or may not stick around. All right. Well, before we get started, we have a little bit of business to cover. Yes. Um, I am inviting business. you guys to join our team here on The Debrief. We've got some really big things coming in May, and I'm looking for people from every single Sandals Church location to help me pull it off. Mm-hmm. So you can go to move.sc slash debrief team and sign up right there. I'm looking for at least a couple people at every campus. We've got some really sweet uh, Debrief t-shirts that are going to be exclusive to the people who sign up for this team. Mm-hmm. I will be getting touch with you with some more information about what exactly it is that we're doing, but we want to help all the people of Sandals Church get connected to the debrief. And those of you who love it are going to help us make that happen. The only people you'll ever see wearing those shirts are the people on this team and us and Pastor Matt up on stage. That's right. You're going to want one. Yeah. Is that that new red shirt? Nope, that oh, one no, that one is available. Oh, yeah, we do have a new oh, debrief yeah. shirt in the depot de- at all of your locations. I love that shirt. It it's is pretty really cool. Good it's a good yeah, one. Yeah, I have to tell you, though, Elena Kunkel let me wear one, and then she took it back from me. She tried to give it to you, and you refused it. Okay, that, that is her side of the story. That is not mm, what happened. Okay. I will give her a demerit. Please. You Noted. receive a demerit, Elena. All right. <laughs> let's let <laughs> the pastor Matt yeah, raise no. the bell. I there just tweeted is. that. <laughs> Sorry, Elena. Oh, that is awesome. Yeah. Social, All right. social media, that, Elena. <laughs> uh, if you guys, by the way, if you don't know who that is, Elena is our awesome social media manager, marketing manager, marketing lead, whatever. She's here at Sandals. She's cool. She's mm-hmm. behind a lot of stuff you guys see. She All is. Those. If you are watching us on YouTube, she is the girl you see hanging out on the couch oh, yeah. every episode. If, and people send us comments wondered, all the time. Who's that girl? Who's that girl? <laughs> that is right. It's Elena. <laughs> Yeah, it is Elena. She's here. She's here to help you get all this great content from the debrief onto social media, so you can share it with your friends. And she's also here to cause Pastor Matt grief. That's yes. true. She's great at that. That's well why I done. like her so much. Well done, Elena. Okay, let's jump into it. Before we debrief your sermon, we got a couple of off-topic questions left over from when we did the relationship toolkit series. Whoa. Mm-hmm. These ones are about some coworker relationships. First one comes from uh, well, a couple of questions all combined together. Pete Rustin wrote them in. Yes. Rustin, our good old buddy from Texas. Yes. 
All right. So Pete and Rustin both uh, wrote in questions because they had both had coworkers that they invited to church, but those coworkers said no. So Pete's question is, how many times should you attempt to reach out to someone after they've bluntly, bluntly refused, especially when you're in a professional workplace? Yeah. I refuse to come to church. That yeah. was a blunt refusal. Yeah. No, no more. No more. Let them go. So one of the biggest mistakes Christians make is we double down on people who are not interested. And mm-hmm. Jesus is very, very clear. If the gospel is rejected, dust off the you know, the dirt from your, your sandals, which is make it, make it public and known and, and, and move on, go to the next place. And so, you know, Christians, we, we're just not always the sharpest tool in the shed. We're supposed to reach the person God is already reaching. So I'm hoping to do a series next year before Easter. I want to call it the search, um, where it really, really talks about how to find that unique person, that person of peace that God is moving in and working in. Because the reality is so many of us are fixated on a person who's not going to change or, or is not at a place where they're ready to change and we neglect the person who is. And so, you know, don't be afraid to be turned down uh, when it comes to asking people to church. But, you know, don't don't be that Christian at work that's, you know, a jerk for Jesus and nobody wants or wants you around. And so, you know, you need to respect people's opinions. And if they're not interested, they're not interested. And that's what you need to do. So I would just say, hey, throw out the invite and then maybe say this, hey, I'm not gonna invite you again, but if you ever wanna come, the invitation is always open. And then let's enjoy our life together and be a good friend, good coworker, get your stuff done. And that's what I would encourage you to do. So thank you, my brother from Texas. I appreciate that. I love what you said about the person of peace too. When mm-hmm. I first was learning about that, I think that's in Luke 10 where Jesus is kind of giving instructions on how to go and reach out. Mm-hmm. So if you're thinking through about that, that's a great place you can go and, yeah. and pray. So then Rustin had the same question on this topic with a coworker who said no. And he says, we've actually become really good friends and our wives have too. Even though he's expressed that he's not at all interested in Christianity, should I still hang out with him outside of work? Oh, absolutely. So, I mean, the number one way you're going to move people that are in opposition to the gospel is through relationship. Conversion happens very, very rarely through argument. It happens through relationship. And so people get to know you. They get to know who you are. They appreciate who you are. And we have no idea what God is going to do long term. Here's what I got to say is that you can't allow him to influence you. You must be the influencer. If you're if you're sensing that your non-Christian friend is you know, uh, has more leadership skills, more giftedness, more, you know, they're they're influencing you more than you are them, then you need to move on because what you don't want to do is lose your faith in the process of trying to give them theirs. Mm -hmm. So, and that happens a lot of the times, which is why Paul says bad company corrupts good character. So we got to be very, very careful and just very, very honest. You know, I'm not going to hang out with somebody that I feel like is going to tempt me in the areas where I'm weak. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to do that. But if it's, an area where I'm not tempted, man, I'm going to hang in there and I'm going to try to be friends and uh, try to love on them. Uh, but the same token, make sure you continue to make friends with Christians. Don't neglect you know, the habit of meeting together as some do, which is Hebrews 10, 24, but make sure that you are gathered with believers so you can encourage each other. And the Bible says all the more as the day of Christ is approaching. So the Hebrews wrote that 2000 years ago. So mm-hmm. I'm going to assume we should be meeting with Christians more regular now than ever. So keep it up. Great questions. Last question here on this topic is how do I go about sharing the situ- uh, how do I go about sharing the gospel with a Muslim coworker? I want to share the gospel, but not be a jerk for Jesus. Yeah, so I think the best way um, to do that is to say, hey, I'd love to learn about what you believe, and um, you know, and and be able to share what I believe. So be open and honest. I'd love to be able to just create a dialogue where we talk w- about what we believe and why. And so, um, and if they're not interested in that, I would just 
be nice and move on. But so I think that's the best way to share the gospel is as a person of curiosity. And my prayer is that you wouldn't be conniving here, but you'd be genuinely curious. I want to learn about Islam. And uh, there's some beautiful, beautiful things about the religion. There's some very, very difficult things about the religion as well. Um, but, you know, learn learn about those things and, um, you know, get to know them and understand them. And I always think that it is, it's always a win when you can compare Muhammad and his teachings to Jesus and his. There's a stark, real difference in terms of how you treat your enemy, how you love your neighbor, how you deal with people who are not of the same religion than you. Jesus Christ is radically and radically, radically, drastically, there we go, go. just invented radically, drastically and radically different from Muhammad. He is. And uh, and oh, by the way, from every other religious leader. And so, hmm. you know, I, I think it's a great thing to, to sit down and talk about, okay, what are the differences? And not in a debate format, but in a curious, you know, fact-finding format, because a lot of Muslims are just like Christians. They don't know what they believe. Right. I mean, a lot of people in our church have no idea what they believe. I mean, I, I remember, never forget the guy told me, yeah, I believe in Jesus and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of Muslims that say, you know, so so what it means to be Muslim oftentimes is what it means to be Catholic many times. And so oftentimes when you run into a Hispanic person who says, I'm Catholic, what they really mean is I'm Hispanic, I'm Honduran, I'm Nicaraguan, I'm Cuban, I'm Venezuelan. And so their religion is completely married to their cultural and ethnic identity. There is no separation of that. And so really the person isn't Catholic at all. They haven't they haven't come to a place of personal faith and trust in Jesus Christ, which mm-hmm. even uh, a Catholic priest would tell you is necessary. Yeah. I mean, you can't you can't just be Catholic because you were born into that. You know, you, you have to be confirmed in that and say this is the life that I'm going to live. So a lot of Muslims are simply Muslims because they don't know anything else. They haven't been they haven't been exposed to anything else. I mean, one of the negatives of the Middle East for the past couple thousand years is the hostility between the groups, and they basically you know, they don't merge at all. Mm-hmm. So Yazidis stay with Yazidis, Muslims stay with Muslims, and so Sunnis stay with Sunnis, Shia stay with Shia, you know, Jews stay with the Jews, Christians stay with the Christians, and oh, by the way, you know, Greek Orthodox with their group, and, you know, Romanian Orthodox with their group, and, you know, the uh, the group that just got blown up in um, uh, Coptic, the yeah. Coptic Christians, they stay with their group, and, none, and so there's no intermingling, which is a tragedy for the gospel. There's no intermingling of cultures because Christ calls us to literally take the gospel into other cultures, but that, that's, they've never been exposed. They've never met somebody. They, they have no idea. And so um, you need to know who your Jesus is and understand and, and compare and contrast and not in a critical way, um, you know, not in a, a slamming of Muhammad way. I don't think that we have to, um, you know, be derogatory at all towards Muhammad to contrast the differences between who he was and how he was as a religious leader and Jesus. And so, and, and, and we know, you know, about Muhammad from the Quran and from Muslim history. So, so we know how he was, we know what he did. And, um, you know, Christians have been, you know, just as awful and evil as Muslims in history. There is a radical difference, however, between our founders. Mm. So, Mm. and I think that that's something worth exploring. It was a timid tweet, but yeah, I didn't feel it. So Mm. So, I'm sorry. Well, I was feeling what you said and I did not reciprocate with the bell. Yeah. 
All right, this next question comes in from Kelly, and she is commenting on a verse that was in our sermon notes handout a few weeks ago. And it says, if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. And that's Matthew 6, 14 through 15. Mm -hmm. And she says, I'm confused because I thought if we believe in Jesus and accept him as our Savior, we are forgiven our sins. Can you please clarify this? Yeah, absolutely. And and, and the problem here is, you know, our Western way of thinking, uh, we're constantly black or white. It's either or, it's never both and. So it's really, really hard for us as Mm. Western fact-finding thinkers. It's the way our brains work. It's the way we're wired to enter into a culture of intentional vagueness. And that's what each Eastern culture is. It's intentionally vague. Oftentimes answers are both and not either or. And that's really, really hard for a society that operates the way that we do. But the Western world operates um, in a way that's efficient and works. And that's great, but it's not the way everybody operates. And so here's what Jesus is saying. He's not saying literally, if you don't forgive, you will not be forgiven. What he's saying is, is a person who has experienced radical forgiveness is going to give radical forgiveness. Mm -hmm. So if you can't forgive those who've sinned against you, you have not been forgiven by God. And so that's what Jesus is trying to get us to think about is, it's impossible for one to say, yes, I've received forgiveness and not extend forgiveness. Jesus tells a parable about this, about a man who was forgiven debt. And so what he does, you know, is he's called the shrewd manager after he he is forgiven all his debt. He goes out and shakes down all the people who owe him. And the owner finds him literally throwing, you know, I mean, just not forgiving any kind of debt for the person that owed him money. And it's like, what is this? I forgave all your debt, but you're not going to forgive him. And I'll tell you what, you're going to be thrown into prison until you pay the last cent. And so that's the story that Jesus is saying is, look, if you've experienced forgiveness and every Christian, if you're real, has, you've experienced forgiveness, how is it that you run around judging, being super critical, um, holding people to standards that you cannot yourself you know, attain? And mm-hmm. so that's what the verse means. And so there are a lot of things like this that Jesus says that we have to really, really sit through and think about and ask, what is the point he's trying to make? So when he tells you to cut off your hand if it caused you to lust, well, that's actually sinning against your body. So Jesus doesn't actually want you to cut your hand off. What he wants you to think about is how devastatingly terrible and awful sin is to you and your body. So it would be better for you to lose a hand than to continue to sin by doing whatever you were doing with that hand or gouge out your eye with whatever you do with your gouging your eyes. But he doesn't want you to do that. And Christians, you know, for a period of time, certain groups and segments uh, practice that where they literally flagellated themselves. They, I think that's the word. Sounds yeah, like, I, sounds like I farting. Think it's flagellation. Like flagellation, yeah, yeah. not flatulation. Yeah, so... Literally, they would beat themselves and whip themselves for their sins, which is just stupid. So, but, but they believe that for a period of time. So that's one of those difficult passages. And so all I'm trying to do on that is press you on your thinking that everything's good and always good. And so the gospel meets life when you have to forgive someone who has sinned against you. That's, that's when the gospel really, really meets. And that's the point I was trying to make. So first we forgive, right? Annoying people. Then we forgive people who have hurt us, usually unintentionally or intentionally. Mm -hmm. And then we move into the world where God exists, where he forgives evil people. And so, and again, forgiveness is releasing judgment to God. It is not entering into reconciliation. There's two categories under um, forgiveness. One is forgiveness, where I release judgment to God. The other is reconciliation, where you and I, Justin, enter into a mutual time where we agree to have our relationships reconciled. And so that requires me saying, Justin, I'm sorry for what I've done. And 
if you've done something, you say the same thing, and we decide to go forward together in relationship. That's mm-hmm. reconciliation. And that's actually what we have with God. Mm-hmm. So God has reconciled us, but we have asked God to forgive us. And so he's been faithful and just to do that. So that's how we maintain relationship together. But in terms of forgiveness, it's really just relieving the burden of being God and saying, okay, I'm, I'm gonna release this to you, God, and you can't carry that. And oh, by the way, if you think you are God, then you don't know him and you don't believe in him. Mm-hmm. So there, there's a lot that goes in there. So I realize the idea of what I'm sharing is somewhat complex. That's what we're trying to cover on the debrief. We're trying to go a little bit deeper, but we have to think um, deeply about some of these things that Christ has said. And that's why you don't just read the Bible once. You continue to read through it. You learn from it. You're wowed by it. You're inspired by it. Uh, I mean, right now I'm in the book of Esther and I, I love that book. And the name of God is not even mentioned in the book of Esther, mm-hmm. but it's a fantastic and an amazing book that really uh, gives a uh, beginning point for the festival of Purim, which is where the Jews avoided genocide, one of the first times where they were tried to, you know, to be wiped off the face of the earth, but God was sovereign and used um, young princess Esther to save the Jewish people. Fantastic book. Every time I read that, man, I'm, I'm blown away by how God wants to orchestrate and is going to move in spite of what's happening in history. So man can do what man does, but God's gonna do what he does. And that's the beauty of that book. So don't give up on these tough teachings. Um, if you're new to Christ, you're new to sandals, start wherever you are. Don't, you have to be brave to be a beginner. So, right, a lot of times jumping in, into the Bible, thank you, jumping into the Bible is is like learning to swim by throwing yourself into the ocean. And so you just have to start. And, and just so you know, that's why most Christians don't know anything about the Bible because it's so intimidating. Mm-hmm. You're talking about a book that covers thousands of years of history that's written in different languages in a different time in a different culture, and it's difficult to understand. That's why you need to go to church, listen to the debrief, and work it out in your small group so that you can figure out how to apply it to your life. And um, let me just say that that's just so, so important. You know, The first step in the process at Sandals is hearing the message on Sundays. The next step is going and taking it into your small groups and working it out. Mm-hmm. And I know a lot of small groups don't work through the questions, and that's a tragedy. It's mm-hmm. a real, real tragedy because God is moving in our church and what you're saying is we're going to do our thing. We're not going to do God's thing. And I think that that's, again, reveals a heart of selfishness and self-focus, which is never God's thing. Now, there are times where a group might need to, for a time, do something special for that group because there's a hurt, there's some healing that needs to take place, or there's something that needs to be worked on. But for the most part, if your group historically just continues to do whatever you want to do, then that's, that's, not, that's not a sandals group. That's a rogue group. And mm-hmm. I always encourage you, come back. Join us, work through these questions. They're not easy. That's why they're there. And they're good, deep, challenging questions. And so, um, you know, uh, I think that's a great theological question. What does this mean? How can I be saved if if this, but really where that needs to be worked out is, man, it's hard to forgive people. Mm -hmm. It's really, really hard. God has asked us to do some really, really hard things. Yeah, well, he's done the hard thing for us. Mm -hmm. And so his forgiveness of us required the death of his son. So part of forgiveness is dying to self. and, And that's the challenge. So it's not understanding the text, it's applying the text that is is really the difficult issue. Totally. Uh, Kind of on the topic of God's forgiveness toward us, uh, Billy Bob actually sent in a question. I'm not... I'm not convinced that's his real name because I hope it is. I I, hope it is. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And he says, "What's what's the Billy Bob Thornton character where he plays the sling sling blade? Something about he says something about muffins." (laughs) (laughs) Lost me. You you see either of you guys have seen Sling Blade? No, and I'm afraid. To recommend Probably not that. going to I don't now. trust your judgment on that. 
Yeah, that's fair. Okay, go ahead. Back to the Bible. Yeah, back to the Bible. Uh, Billy Bob mentioned that sometimes, Pastor Matt, you say that we'll be judged at the end. But what is there to judge if Jesus says we are completely clean? Right. There's not judgment. There's accountability. And so judge, judgment is, is one of two things. So we will go through the process of examination. So, so we will experience the trial. We will stand before God and experience the trial. However, we will be vindicated in the end because of Jesus Christ. Because of the blood of Jesus Christ, we will be declared not guilty. That's what Romans 8.1 says. There is now, therefore, no condemnation. So what is condemnation? It's the death sentence, right? Mm-hmm. Condemned. That's a condemned man. So think about that word. There is, no, there is now, therefore, no longer condemnation. There's no longer the sentence of death for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's what he's saying. However, the same book, Romans says in, I believe it's Romans 2, 16. You get, somebody look this up for me. Um, we will all give it a personal account to God. So um, I don't think that's the right verse, man. But it's, it's in Romans. It's in the early part of Romans. We will all give a personal yeah, account to God. It talks about God judging people's secrets. Is that what you're yes. Talking? Is that Romans 2, 16? That is Romans Boom, 2, 16. man. I'm going to give myself yeah. one right there. <laughs> Bam. Okay. So, so, you know, so here, again, here, here we go again. Here's this tension. There's mm-hmm. no judgment, but there is a judgment. Yep. Whoa, what is it? It's yep. both. Okay, you're not going to be, here, here's what you got to know. Is you, you're not going to be condemned to death. You're going to survive. You're going to stand. But all of your works, according to Paul, are going to be judged. Your hay, your straw. I just said two things the same way. Yep. Your, your hay, we're in the, your we're wood, in that tension. Uh, you know, the steel, all of that is going to stand before the fire of God. Okay, that's who he is. His, his holiness is like pure fire. And you're going to walk through that and everything that you did for God is going to last. Everything else will burn away. And so, um, it's not torture. It's it's not it's not judgment. It is the process of entering into this trial where we stand before God and we give an account for what we've done. However, here's the good news: as Christians, we will not be judged. Mm-hmm. But a lot of Christians, man. They're running around thinking that there's no trial whatsoever. There's no appearance. There's no account. Um, I mean, we talk about it all the time on this on this show. Luke 12 is Jesus talking to his shepherds. It's nasty, right? One gets ripped apart. One mm-hmm. gets beaten. I love it. Mildly beaten, severely beaten, and then ripped to shreds. So um, now I don't know that those were born again Christians in that passage, but they were definitely people parading themselves as such, right. which is why the judgment is so harsh. Uh, the Bible says this, judgment will begin with the house of God. So um, so it starts with us, we're his people. It's just like I talk to my kids. You know, they say, everybody else is doing it. Well, I'm not everybody else's dad. I'm your dad. And you don't get to act like an idiot and you don't get to act like a moron. And so I'm gonna deal with you. And so we need to be prepared for that. We need to think about that. We're gonna survive it. We're, we're gonna get through it. We're gonna be saved. Think think about that word. We're gonna be saved yeah. by the grace of God. There's, I mean, which means that it's gonna be in, intense. I mean, we are gonna stand before the holy, mighty, living God. John, the disciple whom Jesus loved mm-hmm. in Revelations, right? Sees Jesus, the risen Jesus, and he falls as though he were dead. Hmm. Why? Because the intensity and immensity of who Jesus is is overwhelming even to the disciple that he loved. Mm-hmm. The disciple, that, by the way, that was faithful to the very end. Yeah. Faithful to the very end. That dude freaked out and fell as though he were dead dead when he saw him because God is such a consuming fire. That's what Hebrew says. He's a consuming fire. And so, um, you know, and not all Christians agree on that process as we enter into. And so Catholics and Anglicans, that is the Church of England, 
Church of England. England. The Church of England have this thing um, called purgatory where you sit there and your sins are burned off. And I don't agree with that. I think it's an instant. We stand before God. It's a judgment. And um, the, the works of our life that do not last are burned away. Mm-hmm. And um, there will be momentary loss, but tears will be wiped away. Things will be set straight and things will be made right uh, in the new kingdom. And so just know you need to prepare and know that I will be held accountable to God. Mm-hmm. And there will be an accounting for every thought, every deed, every secret. And so um, that's why I beg you all to start confessing now, because here's the beauty of confession. <laughs> confessed sins don't need to be accounted for mm-hmm. because they've been confessed. First John 1, 9, if we confess our sins to him, he's faithful and just to forgive us of all unrighteousness. First John 1, 9. James 5, 17, confess your sins one to another so that you may be whole and healed. So both of those texts are written to Christians. Those aren't written to non-Christians, those are Christians. And so we need to practice continually the act of confession. I sin every day, all day, Mm -hmm. and I need to do that. Mm -hmm. Um, Usually, you know, because I'm a good religious person, it's just in my mind, in my head, you know, but... But I need to I need to deal with those issues, and I don't need to fear. I'm not I'm not being cast in hell. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And read Romans seven. That's prior to that. Paul says, "Who will separate me from this sin that I continue to commit?" He says this: "What I want to do, I don't do, and that I don't want to do, I find myself doing." Mm-hmm. That's how Romans seven ends. Yeah. And then Romans eight begins with, "Thank God." Yes for Christ Jesus, because there's no condemnation. So even Paul, who wrote half the New Testament, struggled with his earthly desires, mm-hmm. battled them. Yep. And um, and that's why we just need to throw ourselves every single week, week on the floor and thank God for Jesus. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what always bums me out when I see people who aren't in the mood for worship. Mm-hmm. When you come into church and you got sin in your life, man, that's, man, you, ugh, you, should, mm. you should be worshiping, man. We are all unworthy. All of us, just like that passage last week that we went into with, with uh, Peter, he was unworthy. Mm-hmm. He did not do what he was called to do. You know, he bailed on Jesus. Yeah. Denied him three times. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Before we jump into debriefing, in the interest of accuracy, I think uh, the verse you were specifically quoting from Romans is uh, chapter 14, verse 12, which says, yes, each of us will give a personal account to God. That is the verse, 14, so, 12. Boom. Okay, let's debrief the message. And actually, you, you just were getting there. We you, Before we jump into the nitty-gritty, you talked about how much you love the, that story, the interaction that Jesus has with Peter and the other disciples there um, after his resurrection on the beach, cooking breakfast. Can you just at a high level talk about why that's so beautiful? Well, you know, for as a pastor, you know, I've failed many times. I think, I think the first time when I really just wrestled with failure was when I had a, I had a panic attack. So I was scheduled to go hmm. to... Um, Africa for the oh. first time. And for those of you who don't know my story, but I was raised near a military Air Force base. And I, I've worked through this. This is years of counseling. But I was raised near Air Force base and uh, a big B-52 bomber at the height of the Cold War crashed right outside um, our schoolyard. Wow, I didn't know that yeah, part. So, so we, were, we were out on the playground. I mean, you can imagine, right, the most terrifying sound mm. of a completely fueled B-52 fired mm-hmm. up, flew wow. just a mile off the runway and got caught in the wash stream of the one in front of it, and, and it just crashed. Wow. Killed everybody on board. Um, I think it was 14, I can't remember, or 17 mm. men died that day. It was terrible. They thought there were nuclear bombs on the uh, uh, the plane, and so they evacuated. So I, I just had a lot of fear about flying. So then we had 9-11, and I was scheduled to go 
to Africa and I just, I, I just absolutely panicked and I, and I didn't, I didn't get on the plane. I sent people from our team without me mm-hmm. and I didn't get on the plane and I was so ashamed and I was so embarrassed. And, um, I just felt like what a coward, what a failure. So, and I was ready, I was ready to quit. I was like, I'm not a shepherd, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not the leader that I need to be. And, and I wasn't the leader I needed to be, but I was the leader God called to Sandals Church and I had mm-hmm. to work through that. And so I had to work through my failure and realize as courageous as I am in many things, I have to tackle this childhood fear. And, um, and, I, and I have overcome it. I fly all the time. I fly all over the place. Um, and it really came down to me trusting God. But I had my moment at the charcoal fire and it was in LAX, you know, at about 12 o'clock at night. Um, and I just, I don't know, if you've never had a panic attack, it's, it's pretty intense, man. And, um, you know, it cost... Uh, cost me and the church about $3,000. That's how much the trip was. And I just thought, man, I've wasted God's money. I'm terrible. I'm awful, whatever. So I remember when I was about ready to resign, it just happened to be right in John 21, hmm. you know, uh, and I read through that passage and I just cried and cried and cried and was so thankful. And, you know, Jesus was like, do you love me, Matt? I was like, yes. Then feed my sheep, you know, pick yourself up. You failed. We get it. I got it. You know, you, you weren't there. And, um, um, but you got, you got to keep going. And so I did. And uh, now I get on the plane and I fly all, all over the world and, and I do so with a comfort that, you know, if it's my time, it's my time. And um, I don't know. So I, I failed in that way. And, and I, I just think failed leaders are better leaders. I just believe that. You know, we have some leaders on staff who've been on other churches and they've had, you know, some failures and people are always like, you know, why you know, why do you, why do you want them on staff? It's because I think they're better. You know, we got some negative feedback for having Mark Driscoll on the show. I think Mark's a better leader. I think he's a better person. He's a better pastor. He had some failure, some real failure. And yep, that failure hurt some people, but you know what? I've hurt people. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and the more people you reach, the more people you're going to fail and the more people you're going to, you're going to hurt. That's just the reality of the scope of ministry that you have. Um, I hurt people all the time. I hurt my wife and I love her more than anybody else in this world. I hurt her with what I say, what I don't say, how I say it, when I say it, when I don't say it. I mean, I'm like a ninja herder person, you know? Um, and so this passage is just real, real special to me. And I think it's special to Peter. And, um, and, and it affected John. I mean, John's the one that wrote it down. Yeah. None of the other gospel writers wrote mm-hmm. it down. And, uh, and John, John, this next weekend at church, we're going to pick up on a passage that's, you know, we're looking at the Last Supper. And, um, you know, the Last Supper is recorded in all four gospels, but this conversation... Uh, and this action of Jesus is only recorded in John. So John just has a radar that nobody else has. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, when Jesus says, hey, Peter, I want to talk to you, man. John's right there because I want to hear I want to hear what's said. And, um, and I'm grateful. Um, and we can see how that affected Peter's view of shepherding. And we went over that in 1 Peter 5. You know how he talked about shepherd the flock of God, not because you have to, but because you want to not because of what you get out of it, because you're eager to serve God. And, and that's just very, very beautiful. And so I think it's just incredibly important text. And, and again, if you're struggling, um, you know, with forgiving people, I'd go to that text because, you know, and go to the place where you have your charcoal fire. For some of us, you know, it's our computers late at night. Some of us, it's the deals we do at work. Some of us, it's little lies we tell. Uh, you know, some of it's our actions, our behaviors. And uh, all, all of us struggle, man. And... Um, you know, I just love that. Do you love me more than these? And those three things that we talked about, right? Do you love me more than your friends? Uh, do you love me more than your friends love me? Do you love me more than these things? Your boat, 
your, uh, you know, your fishing net, your, your income and your career? Do you love you more than those things? And, and I think a lot of us as Christians need to think about that. I mean, here's the reality. We had 17,325 people on Easter weekend. Next week we had 8,800 and, uh, it was like 74 or something like that. So half Mm -hmm. didn't come back. Why? Because there was something else going on. They don't love him more than those things. I mean, and, and I don't think that you have to go to church every single week, but most people go to church unless there's something else happening and it's tragic. And there's nothing more deadly in America today than casual Christianity, nothing. Mm-hmm. This church wouldn't be here with a bunch of casual Christians. It wouldn't be here. Um, you know, I love our church. I, I, I believe Jesus loves the church. And the most important thing we do during the week is gather together for worship. And then it's groups, we work it out and, and that's what we do. And uh, that's our livelihood, man. And and we got to continue to do that. So mm-hmm. I just love, love, love this passage. I hope it inspires you. Read through it over and over and over again. Um, there's a lot there for your lifetime, yeah. not just a sermon for your lifetime. Man, I love hearing you share that side of the, your you know your story with that passage. <clears throat> I listened to your sermon three three services in a row with just a special sweetness for me because. I mean, when you first had me come on staff here, I was leading the youth ministry, mm-hmm. and that did not go well. Yeah. And uh, I mean, you had to pull me from that. And while I was off during that time, feeling like a failure, I ran across that story. Mm-hmm. And I just kept coming back to it four or five times in a row, thinking, you know, maybe God can do something with mm-hmm. this. Um, well, I think all of us so have to fail to find our faith. Mm-hmm. If, if you don't fail, you're never going to find your faith. Mm-hmm. And so uh, it's not that God wants us to fail, it's that God wants us to find our faith. And mm-hmm. so... We find our faith through failure. And, and that's the reality, right? Because when life isn't going the way that you want it to go, that's when you find out who you really are. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Jesus comes and meets us like right there and says, I see you here at the very bottom. Mm-hmm. And I still love you. And I still care yeah. about you. And I have a big, big, beautiful plan for yeah, you. Yeah, so. let's have some fish tacos. Yes. <laughs> Somebody did tweet me on that this week. And I'm like, oh, that wasn't an actual <laughs> real point. But because well, technically it was fish and bread. Mm-hmm. They didn't have cornmeal well, in Jerusalem. Could flour tacos. Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. I got you. I got to be honest Bam. with you. I, I'm pretty <laughs> sure if Jesus was making the the uh, the fish tacos, they would be they would be flour tortillas. Oh my gosh! Over a charcoal fire. Oh, oh, I know. Yes, Lord. Okay, so you did. You talked about in your sermon this weekend the difference between the Greek words for love. You talked about that a little bit mm-hmm. that Jesus uses when he's talking to Peter. Uh, words like agape, phileo. I know some pastors have preached on that story and really emphasized yeah. the difference between. The, the, I guess, the Greek words for love that Jesus is using. Can you talk about if that's yeah, important? Yeah, I not? think a lot of pastors mean well, but what they get lost in is, you know, a study of the Greek can deepen the message or drown it. <laughs> so okay. uh, you got to be really, really careful with language. Um, you know, um, there, there's a reason that uh, when I'm not aware of any translation that differentiates in the type of love in English that Jesus is talking about. It, it's all going to arrive on love. So Three main words for love in Greek are agape, mm-hmm. uh, phileo, and eros, mm-hmm. or eros. And so eros is like romantic, erotic. That's where we get the English word erotic. Um, so it's sexual, right? So that, that yeah. word's not in this. That would be a little awkward. Sure. Uh, considering the fact Peter was just nude in the boat. So, <laughs> right? so, so eros is not used there, but it is agape. And so agape love, a lot of pastors emphasize that, you know, that's the kind of love that we need to have for God, agape love. It's that eternal, not ending love, and they make a big point out of that. But the problem is in Greek literature, it's interchangeable. Mm-hmm. So, which is why John here, I think, uses it interchangeably. It's it's not, do you do you, do you love me as the Lord and do you love me as a brother? I, I don't think that's what he's saying. He's intentionally going to ask three times. And so here's where the Greek derails the point. And I, I bet there's 
a ton of Christians that hear that message and the difference in the three words, and they completely miss the point. And charcoal fire is the most important thing in that text. And because it's at a charcoal fire that Peter denies Christ three times. And it's the third time that he's the most emphatic. Mm-hmm. You know, stop bothering me. I don't know him. I swear to you, I don't know him. Leave me alone, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And that, so Jesus, do you love me? You know I do, Lord. Do you love me? You know I do, Lord. Do you love me? And the third time, it hurt Peter deeply. Mm-hmm. And it just, right, all of a sudden, he goes back to that moment. And, and the truth is, there's probably not a lot that Peter remembers from that evening. You can imagine he's in shock. Yeah, mm-hmm. fear. I mean, that. it started right there. Um, they're asked to pray late at night. He falls asleep. So remember, he's sleeping. Then all of a sudden, they're surrounded by a bunch of thugs. Yeah, adrenaline rush. Adrenaline rush. Jesus told him to get swords. So he pulls out his sword, cuts off this guy's ear. Like, things go crazy. The next thing you know, you know, they're outnumbered. Jesus tells them to stop, right? I mean, he tries to follow. He tries to, I mean, the, the whole night has just got to be surreal. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he probably honestly didn't get it until the third time. And he's like, oh, yes. Because he says, you know everything, Lord. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's pretty powerful. That's one of my favorite moments in Mel Gibson's The Passion, how he orchestrated Peter or Jesus being slapped and beat and there's this moment where he and Peter make eye contact in the movie that is yeah. just fantastic. And Peter is just acts absolutely overwhelmed with grief because he realizes he blew it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So, you know, uh, again, Greek study is great, but sometimes it, it's just not helpful. I use the English word together. So a lot of times when you study Greek word, you say, oh, English word together is to and get and her. And so it's the pursuit of women. Well, that's not what together means. <laughs> Right, but do you see? Do you see yeah, how you yeah. can completely go off the rails if mm-hmm. you broke that, you know, the word together into three separate? I mean, it, it just doesn't always work that way. So, you know, language doesn't always make perfect sense. Mm-hmm. So, all right. So, your sermon this weekend, coming out of that story, was all about how we then show love to Jesus. How do we answer that question? Do you love me? And your main point was that we love Jesus by serving His church. And so, we've actually gotten um, a handful of really good questions in just about serving church, some of the barriers that people feel to serving God's church. So I'm going to start off with one from Rebecca. And she says, I worked in retail and customer service for many years. I don't know if these kind of places bring out the worst in people or what, but it's left me with a feeling of distaste for people in general. I'm cynical, distrustful, and indifferent. As a Christian, I feel bad that I don't have as much compassion for people as I feel I should. I pray all the time for Jesus to give me his heart for people, but it doesn't seem to work. My husband keeps encouraging me to volunteer at church, but I'm afraid I might cause people to leave and not come back. Do you have any advice for me? Yeah. I mean, I, first of all, thank you for being real with yourself. And yeah, I mean, mm. working with people is hard no matter where it is. And so, uh, you know, in the industry that you talked about, you know, you see the worst of people, customer service, right? You're dealing with people who are upset. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's that's the bottom line. And, and I've been, I've never been a customer service worker, but I certainly have been uh, upset. Um, I remember one time I actually called March Air Force Base in the middle of the night. I was super ticked off. <laughs> Because uh, Kennedy um, couldn't sleep with the jets flying over our house. And I literally called uh, the hotline for March Air Force Base. And I'm like, I literally screamed, for the love of God, stop flying the planes. And on the other end of the phone, it goes, Pastor Matt, is that you? And I'm like, are you kidding me? Are you you. kidding me? The customer service girl who's working at two in the morning, Mm -hmm. the hotline goes to Sandals. She doesn't go to Sandals anymore. But I wonder why. Yeah. So, oh my gosh. So, so I've been there. Um, you know, look, man, j- just, just know that 
at Sandals, if somebody's, you know, upset or angry, you're not gonna have to deal with them. Pastors do. Pastors and ministers will handle them. And so you're not gonna have to deal with enraged people. Let us handle that. Um, and just know this, that yes, you need to listen to your husband, first of all. So if he's encouraging you to do that, you need to follow with spiritual leadership and you need to listen to him doing that. And second of all, um, I just would say, if your heart is truly not to to want to run somebody off, then you won't. Um, mm-hmm. and, and just say, and again, this is why you need to be in small group because you need to be around people who are challenging you on a daily basis to be nicer. Because guess what? Your career does shape you. It does. You know, I was talking to a police officer on Sunday after church and he thanked me for what I said about police officers and how they have to run towards bullets and off and on. And, you know, and you know, one of the things that makes cops so difficult to work with is the kind of people cops have to work with every day. Mm. They work with the worst of the worst every single day. And it's very, very difficult to turn that off. And that's why I tell cops all the time, you have to be in church, you have to be around normal people, you have to be around people that don't commit crimes because otherwise it jades your view of humanity when you're just dealing with literally the dregs and the, you know, the, the gutter of society, man. It, 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 it when you see the worst all the time, you assume the worst. And so that's why we need community in our lives to remind us that there are good people out there who love us. So um, so I would get in a small group and have people challenging, you know, when you served, how was your attitude? Pray about your attitude before you come to serve. God, give me a good attitude today. God, change my heart today. God, help me to be a loving vessel to you today. Um, and, and I think that you can do that. And then you can view each weekend as an accomplishment and just thank God mm. for him changing your heart. Okay, on that very same line, Sally wrote in asking a question about her attitude here on the weekends. She said, I started attending Sandals Church East Valley in January. I want to continue attending and become more involved, but at the same time, I feel like my heart is hardening. When I get to church on Sundays, the happy-go-lucky woman I know myself to be disappears, and a cold-hearted woman takes her place. It is hard to understand what is happening, and I sit in service embarrassed. I rarely turn to greet anyone sitting nearby, and I leave as soon as I can after service. I'm praying for God to soften my heart and meet me where I am. Why can't I hear him? Yeah, uh, I would say you are hearing God where you're at. And so here's the reality. She said that she's a much different person when she walks into church because the world's not real. And the second that she walks into church, God is there, and God is dealing with evil in your heart and darkness in your heart that you are not aware of anywhere else. And God is dealing with that darkness, uh, that demon, whatever it is, whatever trauma, wound, hurt that you have, the second you step into God's house, God starts to work on that wound. And um, and here's what I tell you about the truth. The truth will set you free after it's done kicking your butt. That's what, right, that's what the truth does. But but before it sets you free, it's gonna, it's, I mean, you're gonna roll. I mean, it's gonna mm-hmm. roll with you. And so just know that, you might be able to ignore something during the week. You cannot ignore it. And here's the good news. That means God's speaking. Mm-hmm. So you, what, you, what you think you're not hearing, you're hearing loud and clear. And what God is saying is, this is what needs to be dealt with. Wow. This right here, the hardness of your heart, this needs to be dealt with. And here's, here, here's how you let this out. James 5, 17, confess our sins one to another so that you may be whole and healed. And what you do is you find somebody to pray with immediately after and you just confess that and you just let it out. And here's what I would do. When you come to church, whoever prays with you, you pray with that person or someone else, a minister, every single week at East Valley before you enter into worship. Mm. Say, God, open my heart, open my heart, give me a freedom. God, speak to me. God, let me hear your words, let me feel your love. God, and just, right? And, and, just like when I had to pray the prayer of forgiveness for that person, you know, Father, forgive Voltron as mm-hmm. you've forgiven me, bless Voltron as you bless me. Um, every time you sense that hardness coming on, don't feel defeated. Just know there's more work to do. 
You know, so Jesus won the victory in the heavens so he could take the battle to our trenches. So that's the reality. And and what you're experiencing is the battle in the trench. And if you don't know what a trench is, a trench is, you know, something that occurred during World War One, and they dug these deep trenches where soldiers, mm-hmm. and it was ugly and it was bloody and it was a battle. And so just know God won in the heaven, but he wants to take the work to the trench. And that's where you are. And so that's what God is doing. It's not that you're not hearing God, you're feeling God. Mm-hmm. And God is addressing an area of darkness in your heart yeah. that we all have. Mm-hmm. And so so just know, it's, it's not that you're not hearing, you're just not hearing what you want to hear. Mm-hmm. And, what, and, and what God wants to speak to you about is some wound, some sin, some, some, something uh, ugly in you, in your heart, inside of you that needs to be dealt with. And, and just so you know, this is not like a one-time thing. This is like a lifetime process. Mm-hmm. If I walk into worship and I know my heart is hard, I, man, I'm like, man, mm-hmm. I do, okay, God's got to do some work. Mm-hmm. And so uh, thank you for coming. Keep coming. I'm so glad. And just know, know Sandals Church is a place for real people who have real issues, who need real healing. And so you're in the right place. You have a wonderful campus pastor out there, uh, Pastor Adam Atchison. He is incredible. And there's great people out there at that campus. I always love it when I get to go out there and um, just make sure you, when, at the end of prayer, you know, you just heard, I'm laying, laying down the gauntlet right now. At the end of prayer time, the next service you go, you're going forward. You're gonna go forward for prayer and you're gonna say exactly what I said. Um, I have a hard heart every time I come and I am not me. Something is going on. There's, a, there's a, literally a battle raging right now for your soul. Mm-hmm. So, And just so you know, God's gonna win, but you gotta let him. Mm-hmm. I love that challenge, man. You know, every weekend here at our Hunter Park location, I'm always up there in that moment saying, hey, come forward right now before you leave and have prayer. And it always really just hurts me sometimes when you see, I, I will see somebody who's like heavy emotion. Sometimes they're crying in tears or whatever. And then they just whoosh, whoosh, wipe it off, stand up and flow out the back with the, all those people. And I just think, no, there's people right here. Like let's being deal real is scary. Yeah. yeah. The truth is most of us would rather be sick than be real. Mm-hmm. That's just the truth. All right. This next question comes in from Anonymous and he says, I've served in the military for the last three years and I have three more years to go. I listen to Sandals Church online due to traveling all the time, but I've really struggled with all the normal things the world offers to a young adult in the military. Things like anger, lust, and depression. Recently, I lost my girlfriend of six years due to the strain. I've been missing missing church community and accountability while serving. And I was wondering if you have any advice for finding community or healing while traveling by myself all the time. Yeah, absolutely, man. You know, um, I love our U.S. Armed Forces, and I'm grateful for them. I served in the Army, and, and I know, brother, what you're talking about. There's just darkness out there. You got a lot of young men, a lot of testosterone. Um, I didn't serve with women. Now they have women. They didn't have women. Mm-hmm. Well, they did, but I didn't serve with them. So um, I understand, man. Um, you know, there's prostitution in just about every town that you go to. Um, you know, there's drunkenness. There's, I mean, I don't think you can do drugs because they, they check for your blood now and you're out. But, know. you know, um, you can certainly make a wreck of your life with alcohol. Mm-hmm. And um, um, here's what I would say is what I learned right away in the army was I couldn't miss church. And so they didn't have like what we had, you know, nowadays I couldn't watch online and I just went to church, man. And I, I would cry through most services on Sundays. I mean, mm. I just cried every single week because I knew that I needed God. I knew I needed to change my life. And here's the thing that was amazing about my brothers in the army is they all began to respect that. They all began to appreciate me, respect me. They would say, hey, Brown, make you say a prayer for me. Um, you know, because I went most weeks by myself because that's your only day off, dude. Dudes, are, they're like gonna go, you know, go to the mall or wherever and look at ladies or Mm -hmm. do whatever they're going to do. And I was like, man, I got to get in church. Mm -hmm. I need God. And God just met me there. Um, I would say find a chaplain who loves Jesus. 
Unfortunately, not every chaplain does love Jesus. Find a good chaplain that loves Jesus and uh, that can be there for you and, and see if there's a group of guys wherever you are. Um, there's always a Christian somewhere and just say, God, I need to find this person. I need to find these people. And so our heart goes out to you. We love you. Um, we're, we're praying for you. I, I realize how lonely that time is. No, it's a season. And just know this, it does take a toll. You lost your girlfriend in six years. Uh, that means you need to do probably some real work because you've seen some real ugly things and uh, you're probably not in a position to be in a relationship. You need to get healthy so that you don't hurt uh, whatever woman falls in love with you. So I'll be praying for you. I love you. Don't ever miss church. Um, you know, last time I checked, there was a church service on every base. Nowadays, they're all weird and wimpy, um, you know, because it's got to be for, you know, people who practice Wicca. That's that's encouraging, you know, when you go to church. I'm not kidding you. It's so interdenominational mm-hmm. now. It's like, it's just, it's just, our society is so weird, you know. Uh, you know, 90% of the people in the armed forces are Christian, but we got to have, you know, Wicca chaplains. It's just like, what the heck? Mm-hmm. You know, so, and not that I don't want Wiccan people to be ministered to or whatever. It's just, it's just bizarre. It's just bizarre. So I'll be praying for you, man. You're serving in the armed forces in, in a really, really bizarre time. It's a bizarre time in our culture uh, as we just continue to abandon God and, uh, and I'll be praying for you. So thank you for what you do and who you are. And hopefully you'll get back here soon with us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And please reach out to us, man. If there's anything we can do, if we can resource you in any way, if you find a chaplain that you get connected to that, you know, we could help you out there, re- reach out to us, let us know. We would love to, we'd love to support you. All right. This last question comes from Annie Moss. I think you've started a, a yes, movement here. I love Annie. It's your fault. Um, and Annie Moss writes in and says, over the last 12 years, I've served in many different capacities at Sandals, always helping where the greatest need has been. I'm currently serving in two different areas, but if I'm completely honest, I've felt like I'm serving in the wrong place, like a hand doing the work of a foot. Am I doing a disservice to Sandals by not serving in a capacity that uses my gifts? And how do I discover what ministry area I really belong in? Yeah. So man, you've probably been a Christian a while. And unfortunately, Christians have really screwed you up. I'm not a big fan of spiritual gifts tests. I, I think they're screwed up. And so what, what I don't think Paul means when he says the hand and the foot in that whole language is he's, he's, not, he's not talking about um, differences in giftednesses, but difference in rank. And so the issue that he's, talk, that he's trying to address there is some gifts are not more important than the others. They're all important. They're all essential. And that's the point. And I think we've taken that and said, well, mm. I'm a hand, I'm a foot, I'm an eye, and we're missing his point. Mm. His point is, is that everything is essential. And so what I would say is that the most essential qualities for service in the church is your heart, mm-hmm. um, which is I want to serve God, and your attitude, which is I'm going to be humble and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to be used wherever God uses me. So, you know, I, I think that... Um, you know, you got to do what you got to do. I mean, I've done everything. I've set up, I've torn down, I've worked in children's ministry. I even sang on the worship team one week, you know? <laughs> Me I, too. Yeah. I, I've done I've done everything that I'm aware of that, you know, we can do here at Tannel's Church. And the bottom line is what Jesus wants in our hearts is willing hearts. That's the thing that's most important. And so, I mean, and I, I mean, may, maybe you're in something that's, that's not for you. You know, I, I'm not convinced that I'm going to be great at making coffee because that's not my passion and, and I'm not super good at it and I want the coffee to taste great. But, um, you know, and if you hate kids, don't work in, kim, you know, kids ministry. And if you're not nice, don't be a greeter, you know, um, but you need to be nice. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you need mm-hmm. to get to the place where you are nice enough so you can serve. You need to like people because Jesus loves them and he died for them and you love Jesus. And so you need to learn to die for, to yourself so you can live for him. So I, I hear what you're saying. Um, but again, I just I just don't buy into the current Christian culture of using your giftedness. I just don't think Paul meant that when he wrote that. The difference is, again, 
One is not greater or more important than the other. They're all important. They're all essential. You know, I mean, here's the reality. You would not have Sandals Church if it was not for me. Mm-hmm. We would not have a Sandals Church if it wasn't for our volunteers. Mm-hmm. That's period. So I started it, but I can't run it. Volunteers have to run it. Servants have to run it. And so it takes both of us to do whatever it takes. So people say, what's the secret sauce of Sandals Church? I did whatever it took. Whatever it took. I don't care. I'm going to do whatever it took. I don't care about my roles or my giftedness. I mean, that's just not me. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not on an ego trip. Yeah. That's just, that's just not my personality. I'm going to do whatever it takes. I love people. I, I try to serve. I try to be available, available for people. And hopefully that permeates the hearts of the people in our church. And so um, I appreciate your service. Please don't stop. You know, I think it's okay to take a couple weeks off, but when people are like, I'm going to take a year off. Oh man, I just, I just really, really struggle with that theologically yeah. Yeah. Uh, and biblically. So, you know, my heart goes out to you. Um, you know, I would sit down with a leader and just say, here's where I feel like my passions are. Uh, here's where I feel like my giftedness is. And, and where, where, do you, where do you see me maybe potentially serving? Um, but as a church, we are intentionally simple. Mm-hmm. We don't want to do a million things because we want to do a few things really, really well. And that's just who we are as a church. So we're really about, you know, three things. One is the weekend services, you know, two is groups and three is teams. Mm-hmm. That's all we do. Mm-hmm. And so teams exist to do two things. The t- teams only do two things. Help us on the weekends and help us in groups. That's it. That's their focus. And so we need to make sure that we're we're working on those two things. And so, um, you know, my prayer is that where, where your individual giftedness comes out is in group. And that's when in relationship, you really get to be the foot or you really get to be the arm. Or mm-hmm. really, but, mm-hmm. but service, right? I mean, I, I don't think like, so I'm a husband and a dad. I don't serve my family according to my giftedness. Right. Right. Yeah. I do the dishes. I, I clean. I'm always asking my wife, how can I help? How can I help? How can I help? Sometimes I annoy her. How can I help? How can I, what can I do? What can I do? Um, you know, I'm not one of those husbands who doesn't do laundry. I do laundry. I fold it. I don't fold it as good as my wife. I do dishes. <laughs> I don't put the dishes away as good, but I, but I do those things. I help out around the house. It's nothing to do with giftedness. It has to do with the heart of service. And so I think service is about service giftedness is about relationships. And Hmm. that's where Sandals is very, very different from other churches. We believe your giftedness is best used in the context of relationship. And so in terms of relationship, if you're a gifted encourager, then encourage people. If you're a a, a gifted truth speaker, then speak truth to people. If you're a gifted prayer warrior, then pray for people. You know, if you're, uh, you know, gifted being generous, then be generous to people. But all of our giftedness does not relate around service. It relates around relationships. And I think that's a key divide uh, that churches and Christians historically have misunderstood. We've made service about us when service is supposed to be about God giftedness is about us. And then how do I use my giftedness in the context of relationship? So how am I going to serve the church? However possible. Mm-hmm. What am I gifted at? I'm gifted at communication. I'm gifted at being strategic. I'm gifted at um, identifying giftedness. I just had this conversation with one of my daughters, man. I asked her point blank. We were out to dinner on date night last week. I said, because uh, one of my daughter's giftedness is very, very apparent. It's easy to spot. Mm-hmm. Both my daughters, all my kids are gifted, but my others is a little harder to spot. And I just asked her to point blank. I said, what do you think your giftedness is? What's your gift? She said, I have no idea. I said, really? I said, your gift is strength. God made you strong. Hmm. Mm-hmm. That's who you are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You're strong. And just so you know, guess what kind of leaders I look for at Sandals Church? 
strong ones. Mm-hmm. That reminds me of what you said about Pastor Andrew yeah. at Woodcrest and oh. his what makes him a great pastor. Yes, mm-hmm. absolutely. You need strength. The mm-hmm. church needs strength. And God has made you strong. And so she is strong for people. She's strong in relationships. She's strong against sin. She's, I mean, like that permeates who she is. So wherever she serves at Sandals Church, I mean, where don't you need strength? You need it everywhere. So um, particularly though, you need it in the area of relationships because what's gonna happen in small groups is most people are gonna be afraid to speak up and she'll be strong enough to tell the truth. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I think that that's huge in people's lives. Totally. And you know, um, it's not always appreciated, but it is needed. Mm-hmm. I mean, nobody likes being around a bunch of weak friends and we, there's a lot of weakness. We have a lot of relational weakness in the church. And, you know, Christianity is, uh, is joining the relational movement of God where he heals our relational wounds by being real with him, uh, each other, and ourselves. And so when we enter into those real relationships, that's when relational healings begins. So you're gonna be hearing me say this a lot over and over for the next year is that Christianity is joining uh, the movement of God where we heal relationally by being real with ourselves, God, and others. That's the process. And so for that to happen, we need a lot of strong people mm-hmm. because, right, if we're going to address weakness, we need to be in the presence of strength. And, uh, and my daughter um, has that gift and, um, and, and, and I wouldn't want her to be any different. And I think that's, here's the, here's the tragedy of giftedness is we see giftedness in others, but we fail to see it in ourselves because oftentimes what's easy for us is our giftedness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we don't think it's talent because it's just easy. And so people ask me all the time, oh, how many hours? you know, do you spend preparing a message? And I tell them, you know, four or five. I mean, if you go to seminary, they'll tell you, you know, an yeah, hour 20, of preparation yeah. for every minute you mm-hmm. talk. Mm-hmm. You know why? Because they're not very gifted at it. That's why. Yeah. I mean, think, think about that. So I preach for 40 to 45 minutes. That mm-hmm. would mean I spend 40 to 45 hours a week preparing a message. I mean, okay, then I'm not married, mm-hmm. right? I mean, our church is six people. I'm in a castle Monday yes. through Friday. You know, I mean, it just doesn't work that this way. This podcast would just be me and Stephanie asking yeah. questions yeah. back and forth yeah. to a vacuum. Yeah. What do you think it is? <laughs> yeah. I like that. <laughs> so, um, you know, so, you know, your giftedness, a, a lot of times we minimize our giftedness because it's easy. Mm. Well, the reason it's easy is because it's your giftedness. Mm. So, um, so I think whoever, the, the, uh, Annie Moss, Obviously, you need to hear what Pastor Matt just said about the challenge toward humility, but also every single one of us serving on a team here is underneath someone's leadership. You should talk to the person that's in in leadership over you, and they can do one of two things, either help you, you know, next step with that humility on the, the your junior journey of just really accepting uh, this humility challenge, or they can also help you find a place, maybe even on the same team or whatever, where you can really be more passionate about it or, or some of those things, one of those two things. And anybody else that's listening that wants to join the team and wants to try and find a, a area that you're passionate about, our technical team mm-hmm. uh, and the many incredible volunteers who helped uh, put this new tool together, if you go to sandalsearch.com slash teams, you can actually search and find uh, all kinds of different mm-hmm. volunteer roles based on whether you want to be here on the weekends, during the week, uh, at services, groups, all that kind of yeah. stuff, and your passions. You can say, I'm passionate about kids, I'm passionate about coffee, I'm passionate about people, whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh, you can get a better idea of what types of opportunities we have right now. Yeah, and if you, I, go ahead. Nope, I was going to say. I, w- I would say this. It's Annie Moss, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. Annie, I would say this, that, that there are few positions of service at Sandals Church that require real ability. Most positions of service just require one thing, and that's humility. 
I mean, there, there's there, there's not a parking lot person on our campuses that's like, that's this is my gift. They're doing that out of humility. They're out mm-hmm. there baking in the sun. They're out there getting rained on, honked at, flipped off. Why are they doing all of that? It's not about ability. Mm-hmm. I point better than anyone else. Yeah. You know, it's about humility. And so I think we've made giftedness about ability, but God wants to make it about humility, mm. right? Mm. Jesus Christ humbled himself. Philippians, that's our whole next series coming up, which you know we're calling Beyond Happy. I'm super excited about. Um, Jesus Christ, right? The guy that we worship humbled himself to the point of death on a cross. And that's what we do. Um, and I think in that, man, then we find real giftedness. Mm-hmm. But um, so... Well, this is all good stuff. You can find the show notes, Bible verses, all kinds of good stuff like that online at our website, debrief.show slash 62. We, of course, appreciate it when you spread the word, share with your friends all the good news uh, and the podcast, whether that's on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, whatever it is. And if you want to support the show here, support what God's doing here at Sandals Church, man, oh man, we just launched our Marino Valley. We got the Moval pop-up, or the Montclair pop-up, all that cool stuff. This show, if you want to support Sandals Church, you can do that by texting in uh, to 951-941-20, just text in the keywords give debrief that's two words give debrief to 951 900 4120 we would appreciate it even a dollar uh, for each little episode you listen to is a huge benefit and for those of you guys who have been doing that we are so grateful hey we got to get out of here but before we do stephanie can we talk about some stuff christians say oh you know it learning christian news i think i'm learning christian news i really think so learning christian news i think i'm learning christian news i really think so Okay, Pastor Matt, what do Christians mean when they say planting seeds? Planting seeds. Well, yeah, I hate that term. Um, shoot, you want the real answer? Oh, oh yeah. yeah. What I, think it, what I think it means is questions. not sharing the gospel. What I think it means is like a- alluding to some kind of closet spirituality. That's what I think planting seeds means. Um, what we need to learn to do is share the gospel. Talk about why we are so excited and so in love with Jesus, and that's sharing the gospel. Um, planting seeds is pointing people to a vague sense of morality and a vague God. And I, I just, you know, um, I mean, to me, it, what it means is unsuccessful. So, so find people, share the gospel, um, and I believe this, that sooner or later you're going to see somebody get saved. But, but oftentimes planting seeds means... Um, you're really, really afraid to just share the gospel. And I understand that, man. I mean, sometimes, well, I don't get nervous anymore, but I, I used to get really nervous about it. But, um, you know, so planting seeds could mean, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm being nice, but you should be nice anyways, not just to share the gospel, yes. man. Why don't you just be nice, <laughs> be kind? And so, so that's what it means. It's like what you're doing is you're hoping you're, and this is why it makes no sense, whatever, right? You can't plant imaginary seeds, <laughs> Right, and, and pray that something comes up. I mean, what is the seed? The seed is the gospel. Mm. So you're not planting any seeds if you're not planting the gospel. So share Christ, share his love, share the hope we have. That's planting a seed. So alluding to some vague God or moral code is not planting a seed. So, Well, that was a great episode. Hope you guys have a good week. If anyone needs me, I'll be off sowing the seeds of love. You're going to be gallivanting. Seeds of love. Oh, I like that word. Tears for fears. No? Oh, yeah? Yeah. I know it, but... It's the first thing that popped into my head as soon as we hear planting seeds. Oh, so that's, that's something. Okay, so no, here's the deal. The guy who wrote lyrics for Tears for Fears... Uh, 
came to the church. He went to the church that I was at as a kid growing up. So he would also write other songs um, that we would sing as our church. So um, no deal as a real deal. At probably once a quarter, we would sing Sowing the Seeds of Love as a church. He also wrote another one called, I can't wait and get my wings so I can fly. I can't wait. Get my wings so this I can fly. Explains. I can't wait. <laughs> gonna fly. Okay, this remember, explains remember so I much. Said some some area of giftedness is ability. Mm-hmm. Yes. No more. I literally. No more you, we were both on the worship no. team one weekend. One weekend they came up to me. This was a long time ago. It's probably like I don't know. A long time ago. They said we don't have any guys. We just, we need to give you this microphone and you stand back there. Don't worry. We won't turn it on. It was a good weekend. Great. Right. <laughs> 